The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Yeah, it's why 
Do you believe that you can be washed by the blood of Jesus and in fact be whiter than snow? Do you believe that all of your sin can be washed away by the blood, the blood of Jesus? If you earnestly repent and turn from all uncleanness, do you believe that Jesus, by his precious blood, is willing and able to make you clean, to wash you, that you no longer walk in wickedness or sin? That's the question. Now, I need to take a side note quickly. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. I'm so happy you have tuned in to listen today. It's going to be, frankly, an alarming broadcast in the spirit realm. And I want you to hear all of it. I urge you, if you, if you did not hear Monday and Tuesday, where I did the beginning parts of Isaiah 51, I urge you to go back and listen to those days because these three days all fit together very closely. Now, another side note. There is a very dear brother, Enrico Perez. He is Spanish. He came to America with his family. And he has been very severely injured. He is a Christian man. And he needs our financial help. If the Lord prompts you, if the Holy Spirit calls you, would you go to his GoFundMe page and would you help? You can find that GoFundMe page by going to nationalprayerchapel.com and clicking on November 18's broadcast you are chosen to live a holy life. And there you will find just above the video 
the information about Enrico Perez and his GoFundMe page. He has about $200 given so far. If you'd like to help this Christian brother, then would you step up and help him? And God bless you as you choose in the Spirit to give out of your abundance for a brother who has nothing and has a family and they're really struggling. Now to the broadcast for today. If you believe that you can never leave your sin on this earth, that the blood of Jesus is not adequate, then you will always be trapped. Isaiah 51 is a step-by-step process outlined in the Old Covenant, but representing what would happen in the New Covenant as a person is set free by seeking after Jesus Christ, by seeking after God. Now, the f- there are three hearkens in this passage in Isaiah 51. The first hearken deals specifically with beginning to cry out for righteousness. Now, please hear me. Everything about life is about life and death. Life and death. Darkness and light. Righteousness and holiness against wickedness. Now, many of you have never been able to confess that you've been brought through successfully and that you are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You can say, yes, my past is washed clean of the blood of Jesus, but my present is not washed clean. And many times when I speak with many of you, I ask you, are you clean before Jesus? And you answer me, well, there are still some issues I'm dealing with. You mean the blood of Jesus can't deal with those issues? Or is it your own rebellious heart that refuses to come into the fullness of what Jesus Christ has for you? And so I I ask the question, have you been washed clean? Have you been washed clean now in this life? Or are you still struggling with your sin? The three hearkens, and to hearken means to give my full attention, both my my listening and my seeing. I am totally tuned into, and to hearken after the Lord is what he's speaking about. To give the Lord my full attention. Now, the first hearken is what God wants to do for you. It's the beginning of the process. And he gives very specific instructions for how to leave the wasteland, the wilderness, and the desert and begin to enter into Eden, to begin to enter into gladness and joy and thanksgiving. I'm going to go through that again today, but I'm going to do it from the New Testament. 
from Jesus himself. Now, in the second hearken, the person is brought forward and they take a bold and steady step onto the word of God. They read what the word of God says and they say, I want that. I believe what the word of God says. Now you have to choose. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the modern preachers of our day who preach the sinning Christian? Or are you going to believe the apostle John as he wrote his first epistle? Are you going to believe the book of Romans? Are you going to believe the scriptures or are you going to believe the modern teaching that makes allowance for our sin? Sin is sickness. Jesus came to heal us, to restore us, to save us from our sins, to destroy the work of the devil. Now, the second step under the second hearken is to be aware of the conscious movement of the Holy Spirit as he comes in power into my life and begins to totally transform me. This is not righteousness by works. This is imparted righteousness by Jesus Christ as he comes and grants to us full righteousness. Now, the third thing he does is he gives us spiritual vision. He lets us see what he's done. So, first we learn how, by faith, to rest in God's word and believe what it actually says. Well, I can't tell you how eager I am for God's people in America to begin to simply believe and take at face value what the scriptures say. Don't try to interpret it. Don't try to finagle your way and justify your sin, but simply hear what it says and believe what it says because the blood of Jesus is more than adequate to care for you. The second step is the touch of the almighty arm of God based on his promises. Salvation is a work of God in your heart. And the third is having your eyes anointed so that you can pierce through and no longer be deceived. But you can actually have discernment and know what the way of the cross is, and walk therein. Now this third hearken that we're going to deal with today is where you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have the full assurance that you have, you have been made holy. You've been washed by the blood. And I come today reporting to you this, this sweet miracle that God has done in my life where he has forgiven my wickedness. He has called me to trust in his word and he has removed sin from my heart. 
Now, does that mean I'll never be tempted? Oh, I'm tempted all the time. Does that mean that I'll never sin again? No, it doesn't. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden when they were perfect. And yes, we can sin too. But First John tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness. What I'm trying to say to you today is there is a place of standing in Jesus that the modern church has cast aside as a false teaching. And this goes all the way back to some of the early fathers who believed this lie, the Catholic Church that adopted this position. But it's a lie. And it has stolen from God's people the sweet miracle of grace that he wants to do in your life and in your heart. The third is the full assurance that Jesus has done what he has promised he would do, a truly purified heart. Now, when you have a pure heart, the Holy Spirit begins to say, tell it to others, share that they too can have a pure heart. Report this sweet miracle this miracle of grace that God has performed in your life. But be aware that when you do that, you will face severe persecution. People will say every kind of nasty and ungodly thing about you. But this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 51, let me read what it says. I want you to hear it for yourself. Listen to me. That is, hearken to me. You who know righteousness, you who, you who have innocence, you've been made clean. You've been washed and cleansed by the blood. You people in whose heart is my law. So the law is now written on the inner heart of the man. That's new covenant. Do not fear the reproach of men. Do not be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. This is what God wants us to testify to, that we have been washed and made clean, and that we have the victory in Jesus Christ. Now, brother, sister, if you do not have the victory in Jesus, it is not Jesus' fault. It's because you did not step out in confident faith upon the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign in your heart and in your life. You have refused Jesus the full entrance into your heart and you into Jesus. It is a sweet, sweet miracle to be brought fully into Jesus and for Jesus to be brought fully into my life. 
I didn't do it. I was not worthy. I was utterly unworthy. If he can do this in my life, he can do it in your life. You can be set free of every addiction. You can be set free of every moral sickness. You can be utterly cleansed and washed and walk in the joy and freedom that Jesus alone can bring to the heart of a man or a woman. Now, I want to share with you a very precious teaching that Jesus gave. Let me get my Bibles transferred around. I'm going to share this with you out of the New International Version, one of the first ones, one of the old ones, before they were corrupted. I won't use the New International Version that's published today. It is a corrupted version for me. Jesus has called his disciples. They have no doubt been to Cana of Galilee. Matthew tells us that Jesus is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, just a quick review. What is the kingdom of heaven? It is not a geographic rule. It is, how should I put it? It is a rule of authority. It is the rule of God in every place. Remember I said to you, in the beginning, <coughs> pardon me, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It belongs to him. And this is a prison planet. It is a rebellious planet. It is a planet that has totally shifted over and joined the devil. But Genesis 3.15 promised that there would be a way of escape for us that Jesus himself would open. <clears throat> and he has opened that way. And he did that at the cross when he died on Calvary. So Jesus comes and he preaches repent, which is confess your sins, turn away from your wickedness, and seek after Jesus. Now, if you've ever fasted, you know what happens. On the second or third day, you become ferociously hungry. If you battled your way through that ferocious hunger, your body will begin to devour all of the diseased or loose cells that are in your body. And by the fifth day, your body is clean. Now, what happens on that second day and third day is your body begins to cry out for food. This is in the realm of the physical. The spirit realm is very similar. Your spirit begins to cry out for food. Now, when I have had a three-day fast, 
do I end my fast with a piece of my favorite cherry pie? No, I don't. Do I end my fast with potato chips? No, I don't. What do I end my fast with? Usually some orange juice, some fruit, and then I wait, and I acclimate my body until finally I'm able to eat protein and vegetables because my body is hungry and it wants real food, not not junk food. Now, it hurts my heart to call cherry pie junk food because I love it. But in reality, it's it's not quality food. It's uh, too high in sugar and too high in fat. Your body desires food. Well, in the same way, if you will stop feeding your body the junk and begin to fast, it will get hungry. If you will stop feeding your spirit junk food, redskins are junk food, and many other things are junk food. If you'll stop feeding your body the YouTube videos, junk food. If you'll stop feeding your body all of the entertainment, your spirit will begin to get very hungry for real food. Now, the real food that I want you to eat is Jesus Christ in the spirit realm. Now, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, we find a crowd is following Jesus. He's been traveling through Galilee. He's been healing every disease and sickness among the people. People from Syria are coming to be healed. People from Jerusalem are making the trip, two days of walking to get to Jesus, carrying a sick person, people with seizures, people who are paralyzed. He heals them all. Demon-possessed, he casts the demons out. Those suffering severe pain, the pain is suddenly gone, and they're healed. Crowds are following him. Huge crowds. Now, he wants to take some time and begin to teach what this kingdom of God is all about. And so he goes up, it calls it a mountain in the scripture, the mountainside. It's a large hill. I've been there. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's a very pastoral, beautiful scene. I was disappointed when I was in Israel to find that they had planted banana trees on that hillside where Jesus met with his disciples and with the crowds. But it was very beautiful and very calm and peaceful. And in this place, Jesus sat down. And I want you to hear me. He began to teach what his gospel is all about. 
I want the words of Jesus to sink into your heart. You will find that what I shared with you out of the 51st chapter of Isaiah is simply expanded in Matthew, the 5th chapter, by Jesus. We call these the Beatitudes. They are arranged, I believe, and many scholars believe, in a sequential order. In other words, they are stair steps to come into the fullness of being completely cleansed and washed from sin and walking now in righteousness before God. It's going to be hard for you to capture the reality that you can walk having experienced the sweet miracle of God's presence in such a manifest way in your life that you are washed clean. But it is the teaching of Scripture. He opens with, Oh, how happy. Now, we need to understand that everyone is not going to be happy in the happy attitudes. But it's called happy because they have begun the journey on the way. They have entered in at the narrow gate. They have begun the process of entering into salvation and being washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in the Beatitudes... And in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that Jesus is outlining for us what the actual walk with the Lord God of heaven will look like. I have many times been on my knees before the Lord, reading and praying out loud, not just the Beatitudes, but the whole Sermon on the Mount. It is a fantastic, beautiful, powerful statement of the reality of what Jesus was all about. So let Jesus teach us. Blessed, he, he begins, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is such a bold statement because he's saying, blessed is the sinner He's saying the kingdom of God is going to believe, the, the kingdom of God is going to belong to the sinner. But the sinner has to be transformed into a righteous man. And he's going to outline for us step by step the way a sinner is totally transformed and made into a righteous man or woman, boy or girl. This word poor in the Greek means utterly unable to do anything for yourself. You cannot make yourself righteous. But if you are not made righteous, you cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you cannot enter into Jesus, and you cannot be saved. You will be sent to hell. This is not something we can do ourselves. 
It is something we must submit to. Now, this word submit is such a troublesome word. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, and the husbands are supposed to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church. Oh, how much war I hear when the word submit is used. But it's at the very heart of this. If you will not submit to a godly husband, dear wife, how can you ever submit to Jesus? You can't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where it begins. You cannot begin the journey into Jesus if you are unaware of your poorness. If you have self-esteem, self-dependence, self-promotion, self-identity, you cannot begin the journey toward heaven. The journey toward heaven begins with the acknowledgement that you are a son of Adam and that you are utterly wicked. Read Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the second chapter. If you think that there is good in the human heart and that it is not filled with the poison of the devil, then you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. The only ones who can enter the kingdom of heaven are the ones who are willing to come and acknowledge their utter dependence upon God to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not usually where pastors begin their sermon for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They usually say, God loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. And now if you will just agree to accept Jesus in the goodness of your heart, if you'll just accept Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, then you're saved. I heard a pastor on the radio say that this last week. And I said to myself, liar, liar, your pants are on fire. That's a lie that will take that person to hell if they believe that lie. No, the the narrow gate, the entrance into the kingdom of God is at this point of recognizing, acknowledging, admitting our utter dependence upon God to do something with our sin, to do something to transform us into his likeness. If God does not do that, we cannot be saved. You were chosen to live a holy life, but a holy life begins with the acknowledgement This is all of Jesus and none of me. I did not agree to accept Jesus. I came as a penitent sinner asking if Jesus would accept me. 
See, it doesn't matter what I say about Jesus, whether I'll accept him or not. It only matters whether Jesus will accept me, and Jesus will only accept the poor in spirit who come with no pride, who are willing to be broken, who are willing to acknowledge their condition before God. Now the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The response of a person who begins to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see his wickedness, is to weep, to mourn, to cry. If you have never mourned for your sin, if you have never wept over your spiritual condition, then you have never seen your true spiritual condition before a holy and righteous God, and you have never seen the wrath of God against sin, and you've never acknowledged that you are on your way to hell because you've been lied to, Oh, my brother, my sister. The American church is a church without repentance, without sorrow for sin. The American church is going to have to get on its face and begin to acknowledge its wickedness. If you want salvation, this is where the door is. Remember this story that I've read so many times to you. This incredible story of Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan in 1675. He has a burden on his back. What's that burden? It's sin. He finally sees that he is weighted down with a burden of sin that if he dies will take him all the way down into hell. And he cries out, What shall I do? And it's at that point that Evangelist comes and he says, Run to that light, you see. Run to that gate up on yonder mountain. The gateway is narrow it pinches and you have to acknowledge that wickedness of heart that selfishness that lust that iniquity that pride only the poor in spirit can begin to enter in and their first response upon seeing their true condition before God is to weep over their sin I have spent much time weeping over my sin and the sin of my past. There was a time when I was a prosperity preacher many years ago, and I actually believed the lie that the world was getting better. Oh, and a man said to me, Pastor, you need to repent. And I said, what do I have to repent for? I've already repented. I'd said, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I've repented. I'm good to go. I had no conscious awareness of my depth 
of wickedness and depravity and uncleanness. My pride and my arrogance, my hardness of heart, my selfishness, my lying, my theft. I had never seen it. As the Holy Spirit began to show me, all I could do was weep. All I could do was cry. If you've never cried over your sin, you are not on the road to heaven. You may call yourself a Christian, but if you have never mourned for your wickedness, you are not on the way to heaven. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To comfort means to bring forth the pain. To bring forth the pain that you could be in the fortress of God. That you could begin to be hidden in Jesus. Because after the tears, the Holy Spirit begins to step in. And he begins to to bring out of our heart every unclean thing. He enlarges our wickedness. He increases our tears. And then he begins to comfort our heart. He begins to speak tenderly to us and tell us that our sins can be forgiven. that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Now, the third beatitude is, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The meek are the ones who are gentle, strong, but at peace. They are the ones who have admitted their guilt, who have made restitution, who have confessed their wickedness before God. They are the ones who have wept over their condition. They are the ones into whom the Holy Spirit has begun to bring light and understanding. They are the ones who don't have anything to prove anymore. They don't have anything to accomplish anymore. They don't have a whole list of, of I have to do these things. Instead, they have only one goal, and that is to serve Jesus Christ and to be filled with him. they will inherit the earth because the earth will be filled with the gentle, strong, meek people. These are the people who will be saved because they've been saved from their sin. I'll speak more about that later. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. After you have repented of your sin, after you've acknowledged your condition, after you have wept over the wickedness of your heart, and you have been you have been brought to a place of gentle peace with Jesus. Now your heart begins to hunger because the fast is over. Now you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for innocence before God. And the question comes, can I live? Jesus, can I live? All of us have had to ask that question. Can I live, Jesus? Is there room for me to live? And the answer is yes. There's a sweet, sweet miracle. You need to share that miracle when God does it in your heart. And that sweet miracle is that he now gives you righteousness. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Will they be filled with sin? No, they will be emptied of all sin. Will they be filled with righteousness? Yes. This is to the glory of God. He wants a people who've been made righteous by the by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by repentance, by turning from sin, by coming to terms with our wickedness, by coming to Jesus and trusting in his blood and letting him work that miracle in our lives of converting us, of changing us, of transforming us into new creatures in Christ. And then comes the infilling of righteousness. I'm so concerned for many of you because I don't think you've ever been infilled with God's righteousness. You've been infilled with your own agendas. You've been infilled with your own attempts to be righteous. You have lived under the law. You have said, I'm a sinner even though I'm a Christian, and God's just going to have to deal with me the way I am. Oh, he will deal with you the way you are. He will remove that unrighteousness from you if you will simply repent and turn from darkness and be filled with his light. If you've experienced what I'm talking about today, my brother, my sister, share it with others. Stop being afraid to share that Jesus has done this work in your heart. Stop second-guessing Jesus. Trust that the work he's doing in your heart is real. Trust that Jesus means what he says. Take Jesus at his word. Trust his word. And he's saying, How happy are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
who are your enemies? People who tell you you're not allowed to eat that feast of the bread and the wine of Jesus' body and, and blood, that you can't be made righteous before God, that you can never live without sin. That's such a lie. So you second-guess Jesus, and you try as hard as you can, and you're under the law. A man who walks in sin is under the law. A man who walks clean before God and baptized in the Holy Spirit walks under the power of the Holy Spirit. Read, read Romans, the sixth chapter, the eighth chapter. Read First John, the whole book. Particularly read the third chapter. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It doesn't say they're going to be filled by their own efforts. They are going to be filled by Almighty God. He is going to come, and he's going to do that work in you. Would you report the miracle of God's grace in your life? Would you tell someone about what Jesus has done for you? How he's washed you, how he's made you clean, how he's removed the addictions from your life, how he's restored you to himself. You can't do that if he hasn't accomplished that in you, and so you need to decide, has he accomplished that or hasn't he? If he hasn't, then come and go through these Beatitudes. And step by step, start a new Christian life. It is a sweet miracle of grace that we're called to report. And you will have every opposition rise up against you. When I was bold enough to preach this in an Anglican church, the bishop promptly kicked me and my church out of that Anglican church. They said I was a heretic, a rebel. <laughs> but I was speaking the truth in Jesus. Now we have only two minutes left. I'm going to remind you again. If you will go to the National Prayer Chapel dot com, you can give online, and I am so grateful to my dear sister who yesterday gave in such an abundant way that we are well on our way toward November's bill. And I thank you, dear sister. My email is not working, so I'm not able to email you a thank you note. But please know how much I treasure your gift and your support means everything. Thank you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence.
sun. 